Well, we're glad everyone's here. Amen. You know, every Father's Day that comes along, I don't often sing or teach or preach about whatever the theme is, whether it be this holiday or that holiday, but Father's Day has always been something very special. Not because I've had a father, because I, such as Matt, lost my daddy real young. But, um, there's a scripture in Psalms that says, when your father or your mother abandon you, the Lord will take you up. But I always remember, I do not even, I was thinking of that as we was worshiping, how we ever got acquainted with Steve Hill. I really don't even remember how that worked. But a Father's Day service, I believe, in 1995, at an Assembly of God church, on Father's Day, the pastor was very tired. He had some family issues. His mother was not well, and he asked the evangelist to come in and help me out. I need help. And he preached a sermon that was really not that big a deal as far as what you would expect from him. But the Spirit of God sat down on that church. And for many years after that, it was revival seven days a week. And I remember the pastor said when he... He said, you got to close the service. Was he, when he was going on with this, with altar call and so on, the pastor was freaking out. This is Father's Day. You can't do that. We've got hamburgers on the grill. Dad, you know, he's, gonna, he's already got reservations made. He's supposed to be over at Grandpa's and so on and so forth. And, and the pastor was livid because you just don't do this on Father's Day. But the Holy Spirit had a different plan. And they had church, I think, up until midnight that day. And this thing went on for many, many years before it, be, before it began to wane. But the people were hungry. The people wanted this. Amen. And I believe that the Lord is going to do this again. As we hunger, as we reach out to him, he's going to do it again. Amen. It's, it was, he was a wonderful man. He was the real McCoy because some people are this way at church and they're this way at work and they're this way around the men and they're another side of them when something else is going on, but not him. So it was a wonderful Father's Day back in 1995. And that began a rebirth of a lot of things. Hallelujah. I don't like to look at everything in past tense because I believe that it's going to happen again. It has to. There's too many people out there in a lost condition. There's too many people out there that needs to know what the Father's love is. There's been so much confusion about God and the attributes of God and the characteristics of God. Is he a tyrant? Is he unpredictable? Is he all of these different things? But the very nature and essence and everything about him is good. The God of the old is the God of the new. 
we could look at different things and say, well, look here, look here. You could point out different scriptures that may prove otherwise. But from cover to cover, he is good. He loves his people. He favors his people. And I have been on kind of a quest. The Lord reminded me a few weeks ago that I basically neglected the Old Testament. So I said, yes, sir. But as you look at any theme from cover to cover, you can see God at work. Amen. It may be a revelation concealed. It may be something that hasn't been brought to the surface. It may be called a mystery. But the Holy Spirit has revealed all things to us. There is no more mysteries if we choose to pursue. Hallelujah. So I said, Lord, let me have some scriptures today. I wasn't quite prepared like I usually am, but he's so gracious to give you a download no matter what the situation is. There's some things that happen that you have to deal with. It, you can't have a, a sink that don't work. I guess you could, but we had to deal with this. And the Lord gave me some wonderful scriptures and we are going to look at some of them today, and we're going to just talk about his greatness and his goodness. Hallelujah. The first one we will look at is really kind of the centerpiece of the whole Bible. Nahum 1.7. We don't visit Nahum very much. Hallelujah. But we're talking about God, and today it's all about him. Amen. I won't keep you too long. I know that there is hamburgers on the grill and so on and so forth. And it's a special day. But we have to make room for the Holy Spirit. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows who it is that puts their trust in him. I would underline that. To me, that's a very, very special verse. Not only is he good, that he is a stronghold, a place that we can run to for refuge in the day of trouble, but he also knows who puts their trust in him. Hallelujah. As we put our trust in him, as we move toward him, I believe everything's going to turn out favorably. Hallelujah. I like the part that says that he is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He is that fortress that we can run to when the pressures of life seem to be overcoming us. And in him and through him, we can put our trust in him and know who he is and the characteristics of everything about him. He's not ever going to leave us hanging. Amen. You know, I don't care what news you watch, what paper you pick up. You see things that would imply that God is a schizophrenic because you never can predict what he's going to do. God wasted uh, this city with a tornado. He did this. He did all of these things. And, and sadly enough that there's people in the church that believe the same thing. There is. 
They believe when things come that God is sending his wrath down on a certain city or a certain people type or so on and so forth. But God's wrath, everything, all of them type of things has been poured out on his son so we could live free. And he is good. Every day, all of the time, my, my, my. Nahum 1 and 7, for he is good. 1 Kings chapter 8. There's so many wonderful treasures in the Old Covenant. I get so excited at looking at them Ephesians scriptures and Colossians that you just get on a roll, but the Lord had really had placed on my heart not to neglect the Old. So we're going to take a little journey again through the Old Testament. 1 Kings 8, what did I say, 56. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people, Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all of his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. I want you to notice it says that no promise that he has made has been left unfulfilled. Isn't that wonderful? No promise that he has made has ever fell to the ground null and void. This is wonderful. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a whole book of promises if he were to negate even one promise, the whole thing would fall apart. Amen? There has not failed one word of all of his good promise, which he has promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. So let's jump over to Exodus 33 and, and look at Moses, his servant. I love the book of Exodus. I believe Moses had a relationship with the Lord, perhaps like no one else did. I'll just back up a few verses. It says that the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord appeared and spoke directly face to face with Moses. We jump down to verse 14. And he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me. Carry us not up hence. For wherein it shall be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. Is it not in thou goest with us, so shall we be separated or different than other people from all of the people that are upon the face of the earth? Do we know that we're separated or different? from all of the other people that's upon the face of the earth? 
And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, Lord, show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I shall be gracious, and I shall show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So Moses made the request, show me your glory. And he said, I will. I'll show you my goodness. And as he stayed in the cleft of the rock, God had passed by. I think that's beautiful. What is your glory? He said, I will reveal it to you. It is my goodness. Amen. I believe that we can rest in that. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Psalm 27 and 13. Show me your glory. I'll do that. I will show you my goodness. To me now, that is a forever settled fact. But when I was... Younger in the Lord, I did not understand. I, uh, I was one of those that believed otherwise. But this is a great revelation for those that need to know that he is good. That he wants no harm, but nothing but good all the days of your life. And we can extend that out and say that his desire is for our family to taste of that as well. Amen. All of the children that come on a regular basis, all of these words that has been spoken that they've heard and they've seen, they're not going to fall to the ground null and void. They'll remember the promises of the Lord. Amen. And it will be very productive. My goodness. Psalm 27 and 13 says... It said, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the NIV, it brings it more clear. It says, I remain confident of this one thing. I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Amen. We don't have to look for uh, when we get to heaven, everything's going to be made right. And we're going to experience this, and it's going to be beautiful, and we're going to see all of these angelic beings and stuff. He's saying, I remain confident of this one thing. I will see the goodness in all of these things of the Lord right here, right now, in this day and time, in the land of the living. Amen. Maybe we've set our expectations too low. But he said that he will show us his goodness and all of these wonderful things and we can remain confident that we will see. I love this. This is good stuff. Psalm 107. We're just going to have a good time today. Amen. Psalm 107.
verse 8 says that, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. He fills those who are hungry and who long with goodness. I think that's remarkable. Amen? A lot of these things that we talk about sure doesn't really qualify for a lot that just kind of seek the Lord hit and miss. But it says that he will satisfy those who long for him and he shall fill those who are hungry. Is anybody hungry here today? You know, I, I think every day more and more I get more hungry. I have a big appetite. Everybody says, amen, I can see that. Got to throw out a little humor once in a while. <laughs> amen. But I have to have more and more. And I can't say that I'm so busy that I can never fit it in. Because that's not true. That's not true. There's always something that you can read. There's always something you can listen to. People has the uh, thing in their ear all of the time, and they can listen to something that's uplifting and helpful to them. Hallelujah. No excuse if you're hungry. If you're not, then I'll help you. I'll do the best I can. Ephesians 5 and 1 says something very wonderful. I don't know if I told Bruce that. This is a good scripture for AJ and Shayla and for all of us. What does it say? It says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. In the NIV, it says to be imitators of Father God. I know that you will see and you probably already are seeing your young boys imitating you in certain things, the way you do things, your approach, and so on and so forth, they look and they observe and they remember and they copy the way Daddy is. Amen. I think whether it's good traits or bad traits, the kids is not stupid and they're going to be imitators of God. They're going to be imitators of their father. So we find out all of these things that God is, and he is saying to imitate me, to imitate me. Just as your young boys is going to imitate and follow, you know, a lot of, a lot of boys just naturally fall into their father's lead. They're uh, businessmen, they're fishermen, they're welders, they're all of these things because that's what daddy did. My... My real dad, my birth dad, he was, a, he was a hard man. I didn't much care for him. Nobody really knows what disciplinarian is if they have never met him. But my mother, after about 10 years or more of being alone, found a fella that she loved. And she remarried and it might have been a rocky start, but 
He was now my dad. And what he did was the best. He was an artist in the way of welding. He worked on a construction crew that went all over the United States putting up missile silos and doing things for the government. And I was so fascinated by that, I had to imitate him. Because what he did, I wanted to do. I didn't know what my purpose in life was. And I loved him just like he was my natural father. So I imitated him. I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to be, uh, you know, that I did well. And I would look at his instruction and I would take heed to all of his wisdom and all of these things because I was imitating who he was and what he represented. And that opened the door for a lot of who I am today. Amen. But it says that we are to imitate Father God. I think that that's absolutely beautiful. Mark chapter 10. To be imitators of God. You know, there had been some preachers got in a lot of trouble quoting that scripture. They would fire back, well, what do you mean? You think that you're God or something? Isn't that what it just said? To imitate the attributes of God. It says in many places that what Jesus did, so can we do also. To imitate what he had did. Jesus said, if you want to know the Father how he thinks, what he does, how he acts, to look at me. Because I am an imitator of the Father. I do nothing other than what the Father instructs of me to do. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 10, let me get my Bible over there. Verse 15, we'll back up just a, just a verse. Speaking of, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. And when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running and knelt before him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is no one good but one, and that is God. Oh, glory to Jesus. So today, if we, we're just going to really push that home about how good that he is. There's a scripture in Romans that said that it is the goodness of God that is going to cause you to repent. It's the goodness of God that's going to cause you to change. I do not think that the beat down and a lot of the things that different people do is going to produce a, 
an effective result. Fear works to a degree, I guess, but it's not something that lasts. It says that the goodness of God will cause the people to come. The goodness of God will cause people to see him for what he is. Hallelujah. There is no one good but God alone. We've been talking about the thief that comes to steal, to take away, to rob, and to the word that was sown in your heart that he will steal if he has opportunity to do it. But we also know that in the last days, one of the greatest onslaughts of the church is going to be deception. Deception. The word of deception is, no, God really is not that good. God's failed me. God is full of wrath. He's angry. He's all of these negative things. That's the deception that many people will grab hold of. Many people, when you speak of the father, equate that to their earthly father. And that's not a good thing. I would find absolutely zero characteristics of God in my earthly father. None whatsoever. And some people, when you speak of the love of the father, they may think, well, how can that be? My father's abused me. My father's been cruel to me. My father's done all of these things. So we have the tendency to equate sometimes our earthly father to father God. But he's head and shoulders above any earthly father that has ever lived. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. May that be our heart's cry for those who will taste and will see. I believe if somebody comes and sits under somebody who teaches, that they'll begin to get a taste. That they'll begin to get a taste. And they will begin to hunger and they won't be satisfied until they get fulfillment. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I would not have fulfillment if I knew that everywhere that I went, I was going to get my nose rubbed in all of my weaknesses to get the beat down. And, and, and that's where we went for quite a while. And it got results with me, but they didn't last. But when I got on to how good God was, how wonderful he was, scripture cover to cover explaining his goodness and everything that he had for us. And I don't believe that there's anything that really expresses his goodness as it does in Luke 15. We're going to turn over there just for a moment. It's not 12 o'clock yet, so we're still in good shape. In Luke 15, it's a wonderful text because it speaks about three different parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. So apparently, all of these things that can get lost or have become lost can also become restored. We have family that is in a lost condition. 
But Jesus is telling us very clearly that none of these things has been overlooked. He said unto the Pharisees and scribes as they murmured that this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So what's wrong with that? I believe Jesus cared for the sinners and the drunkards and the crack addicts and the prostitutes. This is the people who Jesus came and gave his life for. Amen. Jesus didn't participate with them. He didn't do what they did, but he came to seek them out. Hallelujah. Our friend Steve Hill, before he died, he spent the last year or so on his deathbed reaching out to reaching out to people on the computer. Hallelujah. Glorious Jesus. You know, I oftentimes I think maybe I do that better than I do anything. That one-on-one -on -one conversation with people whose society has been neglected, it's really not that hard to strike up a conversation with them and to begin to tell them about Jesus, to begin to tell them about all of these wonderful, glorious things that Jesus has done for them. So it goes on to say that Jesus, likewise, the joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, moreover than the ninety-nine that just persons which need no repentance. It says that there's great joy in heaven when that one sinner comes to Jesus. This is the heart of the Father. What is the Father's greatest desire? That none should perish. None. I mean, he's all about souls and he wants everyone. And he's greedy for it. Amen. So we have three parables. You have the parable of the one that I had just read. It is the one of the lost sheep. That one who's one astray. He said, go after him. Go after her. Because that one is of utmost importance to me. He goes on to speak about a woman who... Um, She had lost her coin. This woman had ten pieces of silver, and if she lost one piece, does she not light the candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice for me, for I have found the peace which I have, I have lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. So I pray right now by faith that anybody who's lost anything today, that it will be restored. If it's in the area of relationship, that that will be restored back to health. If it's finance from a job that you have lost, then I pray in Jesus' name that everything will be recovered. And you can call your friends and you can rejoice and say, the thing that I had lost has been recovered. And I give God the glory for it. Hallelujah. God is never the God of the takeaway, but he is always the God of the more and of the multiplication. 
And we find that the last parable in Luke 15 is one that everybody knows, but it is so absolutely wonderful. It is the parable of two sons. The younger of them said unto his father, Give me the portions of goods that falls to me, and he divides it unto them. If you notice this bold request that the son declares, Give me my portion, it didn't bother the father in the least. It goes on to say that the father divided the substance among him, and not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took the journey into a far country and therefore wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent everything, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country to be sent into the fields to feed swine. And he could have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Boy, there's a lot of sermons in there that we could talk about. If you've got money in your pocket... If you won the lottery, whatever have you, however you acquired money, if you have an inheritance, you're going to have a lot of friends. You're going to have people coming over. You're going to have all kinds of friends. But you're going to find out you have nobody when you have nothing. More than likely. So this boy that had a ton of money after he wasted it on prostitutes and whiskey and everything bad, he found out that he had no more friends. His life was a total mess. And when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, one of our dear friends, that he knew better. All of these things that he was doing, he knew was wrong. But one day he came to his senses. He said, I know this isn't right. I know this isn't healthy for me. I know that this is taking me on the road of de to destruction. So once again, we see something that we can believe for with our family, that they will come to their senses and said, Father, you have many servants. You have many hired hands. You have more than enough to spare, but I perish with hunger. So he makes a plan and said, I will go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father listened to what he had to say, but did not say one word about that. He did not play into his pre-rehearsed speech. The father, what he had did is he arose, and while he was a great way he fell on him, had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said that this pre-rehearsed speech that the son said unto him, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight shall be no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf in and kill it so we can eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. And they began to be merry. I've always wanted to speak on this. I don't think I ever have. But now we have the elder son in the field, and he came and wanted to know what was going on. What is all this music and dancing in the father's house? I believe that that's great, that we will have music and we'll have dancing in the father's house. But the elder son, and he came and he said, what was all this going on? Why did the father kill the fatted calf? so on and so forth, and he was angry. This would be a good text to speak on. The, the older brother said, why did you restore him back to sonhood? Why did you put a robe on him? Why did you give him the family ring? Why did you put shoes on his feet? Because he's my son. In the Old Testament it says, take your shoes off because this is holy ground. Get them shoes out of here. But in the New Testament it says, put them shoes on him because he's my son. There's nothing that he did that's beyond repair. He was lost, but now he has been found. But you have the older brother that could represent many in the church that wanted the brother to suffer justice. They wanted him to pay for his sins. They wanted him to suffer a while. They wanted him to work out in the field and repay the debt that he had worked off. Many people are like that. But the father restored the son back to his rightful place without any question. This is the love of God. This is the grace of God. This is the mercy of God. Hallelujah. I had one more thing I wanted to do, but I am going to go to Psalm 23 and I'm done. This is the picture of Father God that no matter what a person does, they can always come back. Amen. Amen. The picture of the elder son is the picture of the religious kooks in the church. They always want somebody to pay. Somebody's got to be punished. Amen. Psalm 23 and 6. Everybody knows Psalm 23. They rehearse it. They teach it to their kids. They learn it in Bible class. Final words today. Hallelujah. Look at verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. That his goodness and mercy is going to follow us as children of God all the days of our life. Even when we miss it, his goodness and mercy is going to follow us all of the days of our life. I wouldn't want to go and, and subject myself to a lot of things that people do because I know that no matter where I go, his goodness and mercy is going to follow me anywhere I go. I would feel a little bit uncomfortable going into the club and going into the uh, whatever have you that people do. Because I know that his goodness and mercy is right here. No matter if I go this way or, or cut through there or wherever I go, I know that his goodness and mercy 
shall follow me all of the days of my life. I believe that that's absolutely wonderful. And that's you and I. His goodness, his mercy shall follow us everywhere we go. Let's stand together. Father, I'm grateful that you had brought some people that are hungry and thirsty for the things of God today. I, I pray also for those who is on holiday and are with family, that they're doing things. And I think that that's absolutely wonderful. I think that it's good that people spend time with their family, with their father, that they travel, that they have a close relationship with one another. But I thank you, Father, that you've given us many, 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 many promises through the word that just keeps driving the fact home that you are good, that your mercy endures forever. I thank you that we can build upon that, that we know that there is no promise in the word of God that you will not honor, that you will not fulfill. I thank you, Jesus, that you have done everything that you can do, that you've sat down at the right hand of the Father God and said, it is finished. Our healing is finished. Our prosperity is finished. All because the God of Jesus, the God of us, is good. And he is good all the time. I thank you, Father, for that last text that we read. That your goodness and your mercy shall follow us everywhere we go. And as we depart to go to the city, to go to eastern Kansas, to go Wherever we may go, wherever we may venture from this day forward, it is a wonderful fact. It's a wonderful knowledge to know that everywhere we go, everything we do, your goodness will follow alongside of us. So we thank you for that revelation today. I thank you, Father, for this wonderful Father's Day. And we just bless the people in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you.
Oh, thank you.